StartupRad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, bringing you again a interview with a startup from Germany. This time we're going really deep, deep, deep check. Um, I do have Tobias here, um, with, uh, Lubis EDA or Lubis EDA from Cape Town, known to the Americans who've been stationed there for the German known as Kaiserslautern. And they are a startup who helps semiconductor producers to be faster and cheaper on the market. But first, let me introduce you to, to Tobias. Hey, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you very much for the invite. You are very welcome. Tell us a little bit about you. As always, people can reach out directly to you. Down here in the show notes, there's your LinkedIn profile. So what do people read there and what do people don't read there? What 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 somebody does need to know about you besides you're being a smart guy with a PhD? <laughs> um Yeah, my LinkedIn profile is quite clean, I guess. Uh, maybe that's a German habit to not to provide not too much information to social media. But but I guess um, some things people don't know about me is that uh, I'm working in software development since I'm 14. I started uh, actually as a web designer uh, when I was a kid. I got like a small book. Uh, was just HTML, and then I made my way through to PHP, MySQL, and all like everything that's related to web. Um, during my studies, I was working part-time um, as a software developer, kind of like a consulting-based thing um, where companies hired me to yeah, develop software. So I was basically always programming and working um, in the domain of software. And um, yeah, I'm a software engineer at heart. Now comes the twist. Uh, I did actually plan after my studies to go to industry, what most engineers do, do some project management job. Um, I was also working uh, with a professor from TU Kaiserslautern. I also developed software for them. And I went to Michigan State to do my master's um, for an exchange program. So I was one year uh, in Michigan. It's very nice there in case uh, you're from there. I, I, I like your state. It's a nice one. Um, but when I came back... Uh, one question. Have, have you been there in winter and did you need a lot of warm socks? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Actually, I, I kind of missed the winter a little bit, so I didn't stay for a full year, just just nine months. Um, so so I came just when the snow uh, disappeared. I could just see some piles of snow uh, lying around, and I left um, uh, sometime in November. So there was some snow, um, but I think I missed the really crazy, really cold uh, uh, Michigan winter. But the fall was just, just really uh, so cold. No so no riding of snowmobiles there? Unfortunately not, no. But I had a lot of fun with the mosquitoes in the ah. summer at the lakes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Big metal high five to Michigan. Okay. You've been there. Then you came back. And what did you yeah, do then? Uh, when, I, when I came back, the professor already knew me from my, from my work as a yeah, research assistant. And he asked me if, if I would be interested in pursuing a PhD. So I gave it some thought. And I had a really good feeling about the professor. I think he's a great guy. And I think he could really support me. And I decided to go for a PhD. However, the PhD was in the field of hardware. So, yeah, semiconductor engineering, so to say. 
Um, technically, I have a PhD in computer engineering. Um, and I was looking through what, what everyone is doing at the chair because, of course, you can kind of find your own topic, but you also have to connect with what other people are doing at the chair. You cannot just come up with something that's not related to what the chair is doing. And I found one guy, he was working on a uh, new methodology for hardware design. And I kind of looked at it and I was like, hmm, what he's doing is kind of similar to what people are doing in the software world a lot. So when I was programming, I used a, an agile uh, programming methodology called test-driven development. In case you don't know it, the core idea is that before you write any features of your software, you write all the tests for the software. So once you implemented the feature, you know that the feature works correctly. And that methodology basically kicked off early 2000. And now I think most software is developed in that way, more, more or less. Um, and I saw what he's doing that you could apply the same idea to the main of hardware because hardware is mostly developed as software back in the day. So you have like these V-shaped waterfall models where you uh, plan exactly everything ahead, but in the end, nothing works. Um, so I could see that switching to <laughs> uh, switching to uh, this kind of methodology could, could actually help the hardware world. So, so my research was mostly focused on the one hand side writing a software that generates something and on the other hand side uh, translate the idea of tests to the domain of hardware. And there's something very similar that transports the day very well, which is called formal property checking. I don't want to go into any details, but in the end, um, it gives you a clear yes or no answer, similar to tests and software, whether something works correctly or not. And I wrote a tool that generates you all the tests you need for your hardware development. And that's also the basis of, of our smart IP generation today that, that my company is selling. So basically your PhD thesis gave you this idea and What you guys are actually doing? Can you really dumb this down for us, Barney style, and explain it like you would explain it to a little child or a business student? Yeah. Um, to a business student. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a real challenge, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so to dump it down, you can split the development of a semiconductor or microchip roughly in three phases. There's a specification phase where you basically just write informal sheets. It's like, it's like just writing down the requirements and then really specifying what the ship should do. And then based on that specification, you create something that's called a design. A design is basically source code. It's a digital model that specifies how the transistors are connected um, just on a yeah, digital model. And then in the third phase, um, you produce, based on that design description, the actual semiconductor. Now the problem, and this is interesting for the for the business people, uh, the business students, is if you make a mistake in your design, yeah, and you have a, a problem in there, and you produce the chips, and you realize that the problem is there after you produce the chips, all the produced chips can go straight to waste, and we have to be aware that producing these chips is crazy expensive because getting from a step from the digital model to basically have a production of the chip, that step costs a lot of money because you need to create something that's called a mask and creating this mask is really, really expensive. And what we can do is we can ensure that whatever you chip to the production is correct. So you don't have the risk of having um, to throw away um, all your produced chips because we can guarantee that there's no, no bugs and no problems in your produced chips. So first of all, you save, of course, all the labor that goes into creating a design. 
But also, and that's even more important for the entire industry, is that the earlier you get to market, the higher your profit margin is. Because usually, companies are waiting for you to get the chips ready. And whoever company gets the chips done first, gets almost all the profit. So if you come late to market, your profit really shrinks to a bare minimum. So yes, you save the cost of labor, but you also gain the time to market benefit over your competitors by using our solution. In your personal experience, what would be the time advantage, uh, say cutting down mm -hmm. from three months to three days, or how could, could mm -hmm. a semiconductor producer so, imagine um, this year? Con conservative um, estimation is 10% um, savings of time. And, but if you're really fast and you, you really have experience with, with our tool and our generation, you, I think you can save up to 20% um, in time. This is um, considering that the creation of the design takes about 30 weeks. So this is between a month and, and two months of, of time savings. And that may not sound that much, but sometimes it happens. Something that's the worst case for every uh, semiconductor company is something called a respin. So before you hand over your design to the production, you would still run a last big test on your design. And if you find a bug then, you go back all the way and you have to go through all the 30 weeks again. And that may happen several times. So um, yeah, taper time can actually accumulate if, if you're really doing a poor job in your design. So with us, you only go through it once, you're even faster, and there's no need for a respin because we can guarantee that there will be no bugs in the design. Whew, that is pretty cool. Um, and, and how do you guys actually do this? You, you have some magic dust <laughs> that goes over the hardware and then it all works out fine? Um, so we do two different things. So first of all, we can generate the design. So you can start with a graphical user interface um, and you can kind of design your, 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 what you want to do in a graphical means. And then you can push button and generate a design. That works for simple and, and easy designs, but usually every or most semiconductor companies have like some niche they're really good at. For example, some companies are really, really good at manual writing, really power efficient design, or other companies are really good at writing really performant designs that just can crunch a lot of data. So for them, like a general um, IP generation doesn't really help them. So we can do something else, and that relates to what I talked about earlier, the test-driven development approach, we can generate them something that we call a verification IP. And if I talk about IP, it's not a, a pattern or, or something legal. It just means it's a, it's a digital, digital component you can use. It's source code, basically. So we can generate this um, verification IP, and you can use that to verify whatever you implement uh, in your design. And it's really quick because it uses a different technique than it is used today in the industry. And... Nobody's using this technique until now because it requires some expert knowledge to create this verification IP, but we can just automatically generate it so everybody can use this um, improved technique and get, get done faster with, with the process. That, that already uh, sounds uh, pretty magic. Can you give us um, like uh, some idea? Um, you said a certain knowledge. So if now an executive of a semiconductor company listens to this audio podcast or watches the YouTube video, the, the, the question is right now, what would they need to change in their processes in order to be faster and almost error-free? Yeah, um, 
if you listen to me and you're, you're a CEO of a big company, you don't need to change that much. Um, all you need to do is instead of getting your verification team on board uh, when the design is partly done, you will get it on board right away when the design process starts. So as soon as the first line of RTL code is done, you will have your verification IP in place. So the design verification team actually would start ahead of the designers and specifies what the designer should do. And the designer can focus on his like main task of writing really efficient and really good designs. That's the only thing that will change. And of course, you will need our tool um, to generate the verification IP. That's, that's of course, uh, yeah, mandatory in this case. Mm -hmm. that, that sounds pretty magic. Basically, you don't need to change a lot of your process. You're faster and you also minimize the potential errors. Um, does already customer work with your product or are you in a beta phase? No, I think we are in a, we, you, could, you could call us, um, we are in a seed phase. Um, right now we have uh, two co-innovation projects running with customers. Um, they're really interested in our tool, but of course, um, the first couple of, of tries of customers, um, we cannot really say that our tool is perfect yet. Um, it's a good beta phase. So what we will do mostly now, we use it in-house, but also the customer uses it and we do some projects together. We kind of like have like the role of a little bit of a consulting and a software company and we run in parallel with the customers through the project and show them how, how it works and, and if they have questions or if there's a bug in the tool, we fix it right away. Um, this is our current state. Um, I think coming next year, early next year, um, we should have a, like a shippable version ready that, that you can just use out of the box with like a day of consulting. We are there talking, uh, right now. We have to tell our audience that we're recording this towards the end of August, but it will only be published in fall. And, um, uh, when you're talking about that, we talk about like first quarter 2022. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and basically then people can get, uh, go to your website and reach out to you. One question when you've been telling us that you're something between a consultant and a, um, and a software startup. What what is your aim at the end? You want to be software. You want to be consulting. Um, so we see ourselves as a software software company. Um, maybe I can talk a little bit about the team. Um, so we have four people, um, three software developers, and then one guy, um, Max. Uh, he's mostly working on the administrative side of of things. He could be considered, or he's considered our our CFO, I'm the CEO, and. So we are mostly working on improving the software, but um, I'm not sure if this is special to the, the, the semiconductor industry or this is the case for many other industries. For the customers, they see the benefit and they would like to use our tool, but for them, it only makes sense to use the tool in production right away. But as explained earlier, of course, the time to market pressure is always there. So our, our aim is to start with projects now show that the tool works. And that's basically how every EDA uh, startup is, is working. They do, they collect their success stories. And once they have a bag full of success stories, customers just buy because they know it works. Um, the word is spread it. Yeah, you have your um, um, recommendations on your website. You can go to conferences and people just know, okay, this stuff works. So the question, oh, do I mess up my production cycle or not doesn't occur anymore. So our goal is that um, in, in two to three years, there will be no more consulting projects. 
uh, then we are, then we will only be focusing on on sales and and try to scale the business up. So long term vision maybe um, in um, 2027. So in about five years from the recording now, we we aim to hit um, 25 million in revenue and um, 50 employees. Um, so we're really going for a growth strategy here. We try to get now uh, VC funding um, to um, yeah grow fast because also you have to know. The market is really competitive, right? And there are some really big players in our market. Um, I can just put out some names in case you want to check the stocks because they're quite interesting. It's Caden, Xilinx, Synopsis, and of course, there's also Siemens. And now we have an advantage. We are ahead. But actually, we want to keep the advantage and build on top of it. So, and I think with a classic bootstrapping um, strategy, that wouldn't work because at some point, the big companies would just throw money at the problem and would outbeat us. Uh, we want to grow fast now and, and take our or keep our competitive advantage. So currently you're looking something like a seed series A investment? Um, right now, I think we would be happy with a seed investment. And I think once we really have our success stories in our pocket and we can get rid of the consulting projects, then it would make sense to us to get a, a series A funding with a good evaluation uh, have a like really good can really really prove the product market fit so there's no questions there and yeah get a get a C, C series a with a like a high evaluation and then scale it from there uh sounds pretty good do you think uh kaiserslautern where you located and um, you you guys are actually the first startup we are interviewing from there so they they're a little bit under the radar um but uh that's a very good very big technical university uh do you think it's a good place for a startup to start well um we had this discussion as well uh, we were also uh thinking about maybe uh having location in in in, in Dresden in, in Sachsen because there's a big semiconductor industry of Germany but on the other hand side since there's not that many startups in Kaiserslautern but you have a lot of students uh, many students are from the region or like the, the wider region um i think we have a good chance of of keeping um talent that doesn't want to go to Berlin Munich or, or Dresden that wants to stay close in the area, maybe Frankfurt, Heidelberg, Mannheim, Saarbrücken is a bigger, bigger city around. And I think we have a nice niche there. And, uh, also we have a good connection to university since we, two of our team actually did their PhD at TU Kaiserslautern. So we have a good connections to, to the chairs where fresh students come in, fresh talents coming in. Um, so I'm not worried too much about finding talent. And of course, if there's not that many startups, there is not that much competition for resources, right? Um, everyone is happy if, 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 if there's a startup funding their business in Kaiserslautern. So we get really good support from all sides. And for us, I think it's smart to maybe stay in Kaiserslautern and, and, and use the benefit of the local. Hmm. Great. Awesome closing words. Only thing left for me to say, everybody who'd like to learn more, you can go down here in the show notes. There will be, as I said in the beginning, a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to your company website, as well as all the social media channels you provide to us. So thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you here as guest, Tobias, and best of luck um, for Lubis Eda or Lubis EDA. What, what's the right pronunciation? Um, yeah, EDA comes from electronic design automation. So we usually go with EDA, but I, I think everybody's saying it differently. So Lubizeda is also fine. 
<laughs> um, if you type it into Google some ways, I, I think we are, we are always ranked one. So whatever you do, you will find us. Lubis EDA uh, is, is, is uh, the name. Great. Thank you very much. Best of luck with the startup and hope to talk to you soon after successful fundraising. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That's all, folks. Find more news, streams, events, and interviews at www.startuprad.io. Remember, sharing is caring.